Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. I'm always really happy to hear from listeners and lots of you have been in touch to tell me that you'd love to be a guest on the podcast and share your shelves with the Your Book fans. Well, now you can. If you pre-order my upcoming novel Limelight in hardback from bookshop.org, you'll be entered into a prize draw to be a guest. Limelight is the story of Frankie. She's vulnerable, she's awkward, and she's trying to be the best sister and daughter she can be. And everything she knows explodes when the world finds out about her secret hobby, getting naked on the internet. It's a story of sisterhood, sexuality, and self-esteem. Pre-ordering is the best possible way to support me and the podcast. Huge, huge thanks to everyone who has already pre-ordered. If you'd like a personalised dedication, you can order from the Margate Bookshop online and they deliver nationwide. My novel Careering, a romantic comedy starring work as the love interest who won't love you back, as heard on BBC Sounds, is out now in paperback. Get your signed copy from the Margate Bookshop, House of Books and Friends in Manchester, Book Bar and Inc. 84 in London, Burt's Books in Swindon, or ask me on social media and I'll send you a personalised book plate. Also, I'll be interviewing the fabulous Jenny Jackson about her book Pineapple Street at Mr B's Bookshop in Bath on April the 20th. Tickets are available online. I love this book. And if you love Catherine Heine and Succession, you'll love it too. Now, on to today's guest. Suk Ojula's novel Sunny was one of my standout books of last year. It's been a steal of the week on this podcast, and I've been a big fan of Suk's ever since I've read it. She's an actor and a comic. I love talking to her about her brand new book and her literary clash with Richard E. Grant, about our shared obsession with the 90s and falling in love with authors thanks to free books on magazines and our patron saint, Marion Keyes. I love this conversation. I hope you do too. So I wanted to start by talking to you about Between the Covers. I love that show and I loved when you were on it. I completely forgot. Uh, what, what book did you pick? <laughs> I picked uh, The Gargoyle by Andrew Davidson. Which I've still not read, um, but can you tell me about it? <laughs> um, it is, it's just, it's magical. It's a book that starts off with a guy driving down a kind of windy road in America. He's come from a showbiz party. He's an adult film star. He gets into a car crash and it basically goes up in a huge fireball. 
and that's how it starts and then he comes round and he's pretty much covered in really extensive burns they don't think he's going to survive he's in hospital for weeks months and um he plans to um kill himself as he leaves because everything that he's relied on his whole life is good looks his body um even his penis he's like i don't have any of those things uh so there's nothing to live for and he has no friends or family that come visit apart from this one woman he comes to visit him and um as they get chatting you realize that she thinks they've met before she's a sculptor and she realises that she says, we've met before, we've met in all of these lifetimes. And she tells the story a bit like um, Sherazada. She tells these stories of them in all their previous lifetimes. And in every single lifetime, he's died by fire. Um, and I love that it's the only book he's written. And he has no plans to write another. Um, and he actually, uh, uh, the, the author, Andrew Davidson, actually messaged me just saying that he'd... Um, I'd given an interview because I'm always wanging on about it, um, saying that he he was really pleased that it was still, you know, people were still reading it because it was out a while ago. But And the weirdest thing is, my best friend, um, who Natalie in Sunny is based on, it's also her favourite book. Oh, wow. And <laughs> did you both know that? Did you share it with each other or did you discover that no. after you both read it? Yeah, no, we discovered that we'd known each other for a good few years and I was talking about it and she went, the gargoyle the, the canadian author who's never written another book and i was like yes that's the very same um so yeah it, it's there's something really special about it i love it it really has a place in my heart and i i reread a lot of books so i am desperate to read it and it sounds <laughs> as well like the sort of book that's a real initiation into a very select yes. cult like when you know about that book you know and yeah. i fascinated by I love the idea of the story where he is covered in burns and it's not that mm. like well I will live a better life and I will be inspired <laughs> and I will change my ways like nope I'm done my penis yeah. is burnt I'm out <laughs> and also how fascinating because I don't know as a writer how you feel about the idea of writing a book and being like well I've written my book and I've finished now I mean that is mm. That makes me feel terrified, but also quite jealous. Yeah, because he obviously, it's not that he's not a good writer and it didn't do very well. Like, it, you know, it's, it did well. Yeah, I would love to have, uh, I don't know, what is that? It's not lack of ambition. Just to have that kind of peace within myself to go, oh, no, I'm good now. But I'm a professional show off. So I don't know about you. So I constantly need to be telling people what I think and what I'm doing. <laughs> But he, he he lives with his family somewhere fairly remote and, as far as you know, is having a really good life. Because I know that, um, you know, you're a comic and an actor and you do a lot of stand-up as well as being an author. You're a polymath. Um, I'm very jealous of that also. <laughs> oh, stop. Obviously, you know, you've written your novel, Sunny, which I love, which I've talked about on this podcast a lot. And then a lot of the other art you do is live and you write it, mm. but that writing changes and fluctuates. Mm. And how do you feel about the two? Are you glad that you have the opportunity to really set something in stone and the idea, the chance to make something that's alive? Or did it feel weird when you were writing the novel to think, oh, I can't keep changing this as I go? <laughs> yes. Yes to everything. It feels great to have something set in stone. I became quite obsessed with legacy about 10 years ago, which is quite a quite a young age to become obsessed by making your mark on the world <laughs> I don't know I think I was going through like uh, I think I had a case of the depressions and I was feeling a bit morbid and I was like well what if I die um it's Saturn Returns isn't it sorry to yeah late 20s oh and I think my gosh 
Yes. Did you have a Did you have a good Saturn return? I don't think anyone does really. They're all they're quite intense. I got very very depressed and anxious after mm. my thirtieth birthday, and yeah. I felt quite annoyed by that because. I was like, but I thought I'd done all the right things. I thought I'd planned this really, really well. And it was, I, I dare say, a lot of people have had before. And I remember talking to someone about this day. I don't really understand because I was quite optimistic until I was about 25. Mm. And the older, wiser friend I was talking to, who may have been all of 30, said, well, why do you think all those, you know, rock stars die when they're 27? I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, Saturn return. That's it. It makes sense. I um I had 29 was a miserable year and then I turned 30, changed careers completely and uh, finally sought help with my mentals and uh, moved home with my parents to so that I could really kind of go, you know, balls to the wall. Can I say balls? You can say whatever oh, okay, you like. Okay, great. Oh, I've already said penis within the first five minutes, so I think... <laughs> Um, yeah so I think uh, it's great to have sunny I've always wanted to write a book everyone says that I know it's such a cliche but I just didn't think it would happen till I was in my 60s living in Margate um, you know as a I wanted to be one of those I probably still will be you don't give up in your dreams kids but I wanted to be one of those like weird old ladies who lives by the sea in a cottage with loads of cats and like um, collects kind of fertility amulets and charms and things like that and talks about sex all the time and like you go around her house and you're like oh that's a nice ornament and she's like oh darling it's a dildo from the 17th century like I thought that's when I would write my book but um, instead it happened in lockdown which is the perfect it really helped me with my mind it really helped me with my focus and it was great but I did want to change it even when I was doing the audiobook I wanted to change it um and and that's my own fault because my editor, Sarah Adams, had said, look, just make sure you read it out loud because you will miss things. Make sure. You... And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But by that point, I don't know about you, Daisy, but I got sick of it by then. I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm done with it now. It's been such an intense process. I'm learning how to write as I'm writing. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I didn't study creative writing or anything. So it's just like um, trial and error. And then when I'm I'm in the um, studio, I'm in the little recording booth and, and I'm like, oh, mate, can, do you mind, Liam? Do you mind if we can just... I, I've just written inevitably three times, um, you know, in this paragraph. Do you think we could change it? And he, <laughs> he was trying to be really nice. Like, I, think it's, I think it's pretty much set in stone now. Um, so, yeah, the joy of doing stand-up, even when you have... Um, even when you do a live show, like I did a solo show, is that you can switch it up every day and it's like even tiny little tweaks and my show was completely different I did a show called Life Sucks it was completely different Great day one to like thank you very much we love a bit of wordplay here um yeah so I love the freedom of that but um but I also love the fact that it, it never gets old does it does it ever get old going into a shop and seeing your seeing your book there seeing your name there like I, I, it really gets me. I've been doing it for a year now. Sometimes if I'm feeling a bit low and I'm going through a train station, like I'll just nip into like a WH Smith and it's just the best thing to see my book there. Like it's incredible. And when it's not there, it's the worst and then you have to get a Greg's, but like... <laughs> <laughs> a good solitary Greg's. Anyway, sorry. Oh, this is what I've been doing wrong because I get so depressed when it's not there. And what I'm not then doing is applying the Greg's, which the I'm going to start. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, funny books 
And if you can yes. remember the first book that really made you laugh and made you realise, oh, this is allowed, books can be funny. Marianne Keys. So I grew up, just to give you some context, I grew up in a house, neither of my parents were readers and we had very, very little money, a single income family. And so uh, any books that I owned, I either stole from school, I know, bad, um, but if you're going to steal anything, I think you're all right to steal books. Um, and uh, or they came free with magazines. Like I used to read women's magazines a lot, um, which explains why I had terrible self-esteem throughout my <laughs> 20s. Um, so one of the free books that I got with a ladies magazine was uh, Sushi for Beginners. Oh, and that's that where my, so much. which is where my um, my Marianne Keys obsession started. Um, that's when I realised they could be funny. But actually, I don't really read funny books now because um, uh, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to somehow copy them by kind of osmosis. I get really scared I'm going to copy them or I'm scared that they're going to be funnier than me, which cannot happen. <laughs> it's not allowed. Well, when I um, was rereading Sushi for Beginners and I'd at mm. that point written my book Careering, which is also set in the world of magazines. And I mm. do think that reading Marion Keys taught me everything I know about writing that was my creative writing course but I was also thinking I mean I, I, I think she could sue me if she wanted to <laughs> the feel of this book and you know what I wanted to do. I loved that, that looking for those cues about how to be an adult and how to live in a world and I think no one writes mm. offices and workplaces like her and I love how she does that in Last Chance Saloon too and yes I actually read that with Batara works in this office and she does quite a boring IT job but everyone in the office is so sweet and kind and jolly and there are really involved scenes about how they, they all go to the same cafe for lunch and the yes. what I think she does so brilliantly in that book and it really stayed with me was Tara's complicated relationship with her body and disordered eating and an mm. awful awful body shaming boyfriend and all that stuff about what we eat at work and yes. how we eat it and the sort of the emotional relationship with that and the way people comment on it and every nothing is private everything is everyone's business and even when that's mm. done in the most kindly and inclusive way it still feels really quite uncomfortable and quite miserable yeah. and also there's nothing like an office for making you just feel like you're going to break at about three o'clock on a Wednesday and think I need a <laughs> yes. finger of budge yeah absolutely I did I lasted six months in an office um and that that was it that was my limit and the only thing that got me through was Burger King Fridays. Is there a KFC Friday in Sunny? Uh, there's a KFC Friday. So, yeah. So Sunny's office experience is, is pretty much directly lifted from my own. And I enjoyed it about as much as Sunny does. <laughs> the book. It's just not for me. There's no... I don't understand now is how people can just be upright for that long. I'm not even upright now. It's four o'clock on a Monday and I'm not even up right now so I do if the zoom were to pan down you see I'm sort of I've got I'm surrounded by blankets on the sofa just to make things nice and soft and easy yeah uh, so what do you reread other than the gargoyle when you really need a comfort or a bit of a boost oh this is gonna make me sound like a real basic bee but I'm gonna say it um I reread eat pray love me too <gasps> no way you're but you're properly clever I was such a an Elizabeth Gilbert sceptic for quite a long time. And then a lot of women I love and like and respect said, Big Magic is brilliant. And I think I listened mm -hmm. to, I had a free Audible credit and then I bought it. And then I thought, 
I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm yeah. to read Eat, Pray, Love. And now that's what I read if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I can't get back to sleep. Yes. Oh my God, thank you. It's like a hug. Do you read the whole thing or do you go to, because I go to the section that I need the most. So if I'm feeling a bit stuck and it's a bit grey and dreary, then I'll go to Italy. Um, if I'm feeling kind of like I want to be more in touch with my spiritual side or I want to meditate, be more present, I go to India. And if I'm feeling like I want to hear about love and romance that's what I want to read about I go to to go to Bali or do you read the whole thing interesting I do tend to read the whole thing but I love that idea of using it almost like I suppose not quite an iching not a prediction but a like a prescription a kind of almanac where you're like this is where I am and this is what I need so what was the last section that you went back to so the last section I went back to was Italy and it's that bit where she talks about oh excuse me I'm gonna butcher it Dolce Farniente where she talks about you know doing the art of doing nothing and there's that scene which oh, I always try and recreate but I can never quite get it right where she's talking about sitting on the floor of her apartment and she's having uh, I think it's like a poached egg and grilled asparagus and she's reading the paper and the light's coming through the window do you know the bit I mean yes yeah <laughs> And it's the way she writes about it. But it's also the way she writes even before she go, goes away. The bit that always sticks with me is when she just feels empty and she's trying to somehow find a way to kind of feel full. And one day she gets up at some ungodly hour and um, peels and, you know, cooks like a pound of potatoes or something and like eats them with salt I think oh my god as somebody with a history of disordered eating I was like I can really relate to that feeling of going nothing is helping me feel better so like potato it is do you I think does she do that again when she's trying to sort of be celibate and um what's the I just in Italy is it Philippe the the guy yes Philippe yeah the guy who she then marries yeah yeah in even in Uber she does that trick where she goes she gives um, Philippe a chaste kiss and then she's restless and can't sleep and I think yes I think she has a wank while we're doing yeah big swear episode that doesn't do it and so she (laughs) says that I peel and boil and salt a pound of potatoes and I eat it with butter (laughs) mysteriously that does not scratch the sexual itch (laughs) This is where I've been going wrong all these years. Um, I love that you read it as well. I love it because, again, I bought a battered copy from a second-hand bookshop years and years ago. And then when the internet kind of became a thing and I was reading on forums and so many, well, I guess mainly women were saying, well, you know, it's all right for Liz Gilbert because she's a privileged, you know, middle-class white woman. Of course, you know, she can take a year off and and do this and she's got money. And I was like, I totally get that. And, you know, I really recognise that privilege and I'm very aware of it, especially as somebody who works in the arts. I come across it a lot. But at the same time, I think the way she writes about, especially about spirituality, I really love, like, I really love her, list, you know, reading about her experience in the ashram. And I guess even the film adaptation is not too bad. I've never seen it's, it. Have you not seen it? It's a good watch. And I, I love Liz Gilbert as a person as well. Like, I love her TED Talks. I, I love how open she is. I love the way she talks about creativity. I love the way she talks about joy. I, I think it's, yeah, I think she's fab. 
I want to I, be her friend. Me too. And I do think, <laughs> and I think that point about privilege is completely valid. And something I find mm. weirdly comforting about reading Eat, Pray, Love now, which I'm fairly new to, the impression I get from Liz Gilbert, my, oh, my friend and yours, because <laughs> we will all be pals <laughs> one day, is that she doesn't take it, or she's generous enough to let people say what they need to say about her and generous enough yeah. with herself to kind of, to step out of it. And that is an art and one I would love to mm. do. And that's why I also read Big Magic um, a lot when I'm writing. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm going to have to... So many people have told me to read Big Magic over the years. I really have to read it. Thank you. It um, is gorgeous uh, as an audio because it's her. Oh, oh, is it her? Oh, amazing. Oh, even better. I'll read it as an audio. Read it as an audio. Listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I'm very, very thin-skinned. Even though I deal with reje- rejection on pretty much a weekly basis on the acting front, um, it's that thing of, you know, I could read a hundred reviews of my book and if one person (laughs) says something you know slightly negative that's the one I'm going to remember I'm not going to remember the three paragraph review that somebody said you know and they often do it's such a blessing that Sunny has been able to do this is that they'll say oh it's the first time I feel seen I'm in my 50s it's the first time I've picked up a book in 10 years Um, I'm now a reader like I love reading but I will remember the one person who goes Oh, well, you know, I I think Sunny needs to grow up and, you know, thought she was a bit immature. And that's the bit that I remember, which is why, Daisy, this and this is going to, I think, is my biggest accomplishment to date. I have not gone on to Amazon and read my reviews. I want to applaud. That is huge. (laughs) I'm so, so impressed. And I know that I'm guessing as well as an actor, Mm. you know, you're sort of geared a bit to, you know, to seek out that that feedback and yeah I mean that was one of the things I loved so much about the book is realizing how there's so much that I felt I saw in Sunny that I had in common with her and so much that I didn't and like I you know Mm. I love her mum I didn't know about the Sikh channel I loved the way that I I felt like I could walk into her house and be on her sofa and eat the food in that book is (laughs) it's such a a powerful and evocative thing and I love the nuance of it and that you show how it can be a really glorious positive thing but also quite Mm. complicated it shouldn't be your ever your responsibility or job to to represent or explain but I think it's Mm. a really generous thing to do and I can only begin to imagine what it is to be a a reader in a world where books are overwhelmingly written by well not written by published by white people and never see yourself and not I hope this isn't a reductive thing to say but um on this podcast Mallory Blackman said the same thing that I think she was 22 and there was a bookshop in London that had books that written by by black authors and she saw young black women Mm. in fiction and she never had before and it really just imagine being 22 years old and being a real you know, yeah. she was a proper addicted reader who read everything she'd get her hands on. She had all mm. the bloody blighting and <laughs> not her. I can remember the exact moment I picked up a book in my local library when I uh, where I grew up. And it was a book in the YA section, which was about this big. It was one of those little carousels. And it was the first time that I'd seen a British... Punjabi working class protagonist and I took that book out as many times as I was allowed and I would actually hide it so that 
I could read it anytime I went in. And, and obviously buying books was just not a possibility at that time. So I ended up tracking down a copy on eBay years and years later. And it's just so special because for me, I was thinking about this today is I don't notice, I didn't used to notice. I think oh, the world we live in now, I'm much more aware of representation and intersectionality especially, but I didn't notice when I wasn't represented. But when I was represented, it really kind of, really I could see the contrast then I could see that oh my like in my house still when I go to mum and dad's house if there is somebody who even looks slightly South Asian or it could just be a trick of the light like who knows if they look slightly South Asian my mum will say the phrase are they an upna upna means one of ours or oh look it's an upna it's one of ours like it's such a beautiful word you know, mm. just that one word to say that's one of ours. And they'll shout it. I'll be upstairs and they'll shout it. Oh, there's an up and on TV. Still, now, that should not be happening in 2023. But I still get that in books when I see somebody very specifically from who's, you know, comes from my background. Um, So I notice it. I, I never used to notice it growing up. I was going to ask this book you found in the library. What was it called? Who is it by? So it was, it's now changed title because I think the title was probably now seen as a slur. I, don't, I think that's why they changed it. Um, it's now called Beauty and the Beast and it's by Ravinda Randawa. I loved it because on the front cover, it's got a girl dressed in traditional Punjabi outfit. So she's wearing a salwar kameez, so she's wearing a tunic and trousers. And then she's got um, white high top trainers on. And she's got big curly hair. And in the 90s, everybody was kind of, you know, making sure their hair was pinned straight. And I loved that she was, and she was gobby. And she was, uh, uh, she wanted to be a journalist and she was a writer for the student newspaper. And I loved it because she'd go to the cash and carry and, you know, she'd have to pick up stuff for her mum. And um, she didn't really fit the ideal of like a, a good Indian daughter. So, yeah, just... It's, you know, still a one-off. Still, I haven't really read a character like her. I think that's such a strange thing about um, the books we read. And there are so many things I found in the the town library, in the school library, where I was like, did mm. I dream that book? I remember yes. it so vividly, but I cannot think what it's called. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. how I'd feel if I, if I saw the cover again. Um, mm-hmm. And I talk about this a lot. It's the writer Barbara Worsper, I think she's called. She wrote this trilogy and the first one's called Fat, A Love Story. And I think mm. even though it's probably quite problematic now in terms of the way it talks about weight and body, but I think really sort of ahead of its time in terms of the way it talks about the emotional side of body dysmorphia and what it is to have all that mm. pressure and all these well-meaning people talking about that when you're not you know sure sort of who you are or what you want mm. but um and I couldn't find this book anywhere until um right before the pandemic uh we did a series in New York and I was in Brooklyn talking to the writer Ada Calhoun who I love he wrote that book Wedding Toast I'll Never Give and her book Why We Can't Sleep or Why We Don't Sleep but she brought this as kind of oh this is a book I loved when I was a kid and I think it was the final one of the trilogy Beautiful Losers and I it was like being punched in the gut but in the loveliest (laughs) way and I thought I had I thought I dreamed it. I really did. Aww. I Do you know, I had the exact moment when you said, you know, oh, did I read that? Did I dream it? 
but then you can't i and i i remembered the cover i read a book when i went to morocco back in it must have been like around 2012 potentially and i knew it was pink and i knew it had somebody on a boat and that and i knew it had the title rice in it but obviously i tried i was trying to find it today because i, I wanted to just in case you asked me about books that I can never read again because they're so harrowing and I knew it was th about the Japanese occupation of but I didn't know where so I was like googling Japanese occupation and then it was like uh Korea Malaysia China I was like okay so the Japanese did a lot of occupying so I don't actually <laughs> I can't actually remember which country it was which is terrible and then um I was like was it the rice keeper and all that came up when I obviously put in rice in book was Anne Rice and then I was like was it the rice keeper's daughter or something and then all that came up was like the blower's daughter or the memory keeper's daughter I was like right this is not it I then realized they changed the cover to something completely different so I was looking at this book and I was looking at the title I was like that can't be it because that's not the cover I found it and what was it it was called it was actually called yeah the rice mother I knew it had rice in it somewhere um it's a beautiful book it's very intense. It's not a holiday read, really, now that I think about it. Um, now I stick to Marianne Keys on holiday because I know that it's going to be engaging and I'm going to find it funny and it feels like a hug. Can you remember what led you to it? I think uh, I just did that terrible thing of going, that looks like an interesting cover. And then I go, OK, I'll read the back. And then and then that's kind of... I mean, now I go more in recommendation, but I think that's because I know people who read now and you know, when I go into my publishers, and I think this is, I don't know, arguably the best bit about being an author, is when they go, do you want a copy of so-and-so's new book? And I'm like, yes, please, get me another tote. I don't have enough. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Never enough totes. <laughs> Never enough. I mean, I, I do think that we should, I will judge people who judge others for judging books by their cover. That's a lot of judging, I know. But... Thank you. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those I, covers I, I, are meant to entice and delight yeah. us. That's why people spend so much time and money like designing them and making sure that they're perfect. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with Zook soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Holding the Baby by Nell Frizzell. It's funny and furious, a powerful piece of journalism about how the system that is supposed to support new parents is broken and why this is everyone's business. I don't have children, but I inhaled this. It's not just a gripping, infuriating and entertaining read. It is a book that will make us all into better friends, aunts, uncles and adult children. And it might make you want to take to the streets in protest. Holding the Baby by Nell Frizzell is published by Bantam and out now. Now, back to Zook. We were talking about um, holiday reads and (laughs) it's complicated, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you know, like you, I think, like always, always Marion Keys. I love uh, mm. Varian McFarlane. Um, mm-hmm. I love Emily Henry. Um, all of those books that just will absolutely grip me and hold my attention, but I feel very safe and contained in that universe. Yes. But also I have a really strong memory of reading um, I Never Said I Loved You by Rick Samada on holiday, which... Mm. I really enjoyed and it's really funny but also really sad and moving and it being a book that I'd been meaning to get to for a while and it was only on holiday where I had the sort of the mental space to Mm. submit to the demands of the book in the best way that I had room to be shaken up emotionally. I love that I know what you mean the capacity to kind of go there what I also find obviously we're talking about books that can be great and predictable and you know where they're going and nothing crazy is going to happen but I like certain crime books for that as well like certain crime books where I'm reading a series now by a writer called Alex Smith who has had terrifying output as a writer I swear he writes two books a year I don't know how he does it and they're full books they're not pamphlets like they're full books and he writes I hate him (laughs) I know right I'm like how are you doing this he's probably got a wife um (laughs) he does everything brings him sandwiches um but no he he's brilliant because he writes about uh, it's i guess it's police procedural i guess it is um about um a police officer called dci ket robert ket and he's in norfolk and he's got a wife who he loves billy and he's got three incredible chaotic young daughters who have major raccoon energy who are just <laughs> brilliant and hilarious and it's probably the and he, you can tell he's got daughters because nobody else i don't think has rights small girls like this because they they're just you know bonkers and always talking about who it's like every other kind of seven or eight year old that i've met and what i love is he's a family man he's he's not like a oh he's a grizzly detective who's ex-military and he can't love anymore because he had his heart broken at 21 and now he's uh just all kind of battle scarred and throwing himself into the line of danger whereas like i guess gci cat does do that but it's also got a lot of humor in it you know he's got a team um who know each other very well almost like another family and his um his super his boss um <laughs> It's just brilliant. It must be based on a real person because how else would you come up with this? Doesn't know the meaning of the word tossing off. So he'll like, he doesn't realise it's a rude word. So he'll be like, right, 
hurry up or I'll toss you off. And they're like, <laughs> no, they're like, sir, that doesn't mean what you think it means. And throughout all this series, and there was about 11 books, I like, shit you not. That's that's like the on the, like the ongoing gag with this character, <laughs> and I just I love it. And I'm I've, I've now read them all because they're they're wonderfully easy reads. Some of them are a bit scary as well and a bit panicky, but I know that he's not going to die, and because he's not going to die, uh, I feel very safe. And he's got this lovely safe world to return to, where people yeah. talk about poo and make jokes about tossing off, which is a world <laughs> I love and recognise. <laughs> So do you remember when we met and you were saying, oh, I don't know how I feel about, you know, kind of police procedural or, you know, or, you know, I want to read something. That's this is the series I was telling you about, oh, Alex Smith. And um, because it's also like a kind of a CD underworld as well. There's also the crimes that they deal with are quite horrific. And sometimes Ket does obviously gets caught up in the middle of it. And sometimes his family gets caught up in the middle of it. So they're also dealing with the trauma of that. It's not cosy oh. crime, but it's it, it's safe crime has the, the cosy elements that real life has. Well, I'm totally sold on that. I'm definitely going to be checking out <laughs> Alex Smith. Um, it made me think as well, because we have talked about Marion Keys, about um, the Walsh family <gasps> and those women so much. in the books. Yes, brilliant. So when I went on, my last holiday I went on, I went to Mallorca and I took my iPad with me because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't carry all the books. And I read Rachel's Holiday and then again, that's right, isn't it? Again, Rachel. Yeah. Um, I read them both back to back because I just wanted to refresh my memory. And it's still, it really holds up, Rachel's Holiday. Like even today I was like, yeah, no, it does. Like I, I, I still think it's very relevant. Um, and then again, Rachel just made me cry and it was lovely. And it was, it's like a, I love the way she writes family. I loved Grown Ups for that reason. I love the way she writes family. I love the way that everyone's slightly messed up, but with a small M. You know, nothing, nothing too much. It's so real and so incredibly smart and perceptive, mm. the emotional intelligence of it, because everyone's messed upness intersects in the most human yes. way. There's no, it's not like, I think the thing that puts me off crime, as you say, it's like, oh, he's so damaged and he's got a brilliant <laughs> analytical and everyone else is a bit 2G. Well, it's, it's mm. not that at all. Everyone's damage flickers over everything else. Mm. I think one of the non-Walsh book that I reread the most is probably uh, The Break. Is it The Break or The Breakup? Where it's Amy and her husband Hugh says he wants a sabbatical from the marriage he wants a year out mm. he is grieving his father um he doesn't know what to do with himself or where to go and Amy's heartbroken and horrified and sort of he goes off and she thinks he's never coming home but then she's got to come to terms with the fact that you know she thinks like where has this come from this is completely blindsided me and actually that's that's not true but I love her daughters uh Kiara Neve and Sophie I think they're just they're so beautifully written I can't I mean I'm I'm 38 I don't know many teenagers that well but they feel <laughs> real. I love really that real. she she's so she grasps that kind of youth mm. and what young what people are interested in with alacrity and I love the way she did that in um again Rachel as well and yeah. the way that the kids have got grown-up kids and yes yeah what they care yeah about. And, they're brilliant. and how but how they're also still 
themselves. Like, it doesn't matter mm. how old they are. Like, they're still their shitty, flawed selves, you know, like her siblings and stuff. Like, you can still go, oh, yeah, there you go. Yep, I remember her. Um, and I also kind of just say, because I honorary mentioned to the other side of the story, which I don't know if you read. Oh, I love Joe. that book. Oh, my God. It's one of the reasons I signed with my literary agent is because she said, I wanted to be like Jojo. <laughs> I was like, didn't we all? <laughs> didn't we all? Absolutely. The whole, you know, super sexy, smart Jessica Rabbit style woman. I know the bit because it does begin with um, JJ selling a book for like 1.125 million or something. Like, oh, that could be me. It's like, no, no, those, that doesn't happen anymore. But I love that. I wonder what, you know, JoJo's one of those characters definitely that I go, I wonder what she's up to now. Mm. I mean, a clearly running a hot her hot shot literary agency and winning all the awards um <laughs> yes who else do you wonder about are there any other books yeah there was one that i always wondered about and then there was a sequel and i wasn't sure about it so ralph's party ah lisa jill i love that but when lisa you jill. said about books on magazines that's the yes. first one i thought of because it was free no on l did yes. you read that one I- Oh, yes, I did. And that's how I got it. I got it free. Um, and weirdly, The Travelling Horn Player as well was another free one, oh, which, just, which does trapezo. not seem like, yeah, which does not seem like something that would <laughs> come free with the magazine. But it was definitely a free one as well. Um, yeah, Ralph's Party. So I always thought, so I always wondered about her. And I was always like, because I, I really wanted to be her purely because of the way that she describes her as being very cute and having really lovely hair and, uh, and a nice bum. And then I don't know if you read the sequel, like after the party. I did. And they were just so grown up. And I was, I found it a bit heartbreaking. But I was like, but this is what happens. People grow up and fall in and out of love with each other. It reminded me a tiny bit of Us by David Nichols in that way that as a fan and as a Mm. wanting, having loved this book so much, Ralph's Party when I was 15, I think, 14 or 15, Mm. and wanting those teenage feelings after the party didn't deliver but it was this really sophisticated Mm. nuanced portrayal of how a marriage can just sort of go wrong and warp and dissolve and don't tend to it and again us reading it after one day i was like this isn't this is quite sad (laughs) this is like you know a lull a minute but actually again it's a really mature and thoughtful evocation of a relationship that is still mm. love-filled and there's nothing obviously wrong with it and it's a really yeah. adult thing I think to to take that that long view oh but yeah. I love Ralph's Party I think might have been one of the first books I read and it is mostly just weed but I'd read like Junk by Melvin <laughs> Burgess and stuff and I think I'd read yeah. American Psycho and Bright Lights Big City but mm-hmm. in Ralph's Party people take drugs fairly regularly and nothing awful happens yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's all kind of fairly normal, isn't it? It's all fairly kind of yeah. This is just what like she go when she goes to Chinatown, mm. and she's got her contact, and then all of a sudden they're in this weird kind of sex dungeon. Yes, like with satin sheets and stuff. Like I always, it's one of those where I can just I can imagine it so clearly even now when she's talking about, you know, even things like you know picking up the lemongrass from the shop or the chilies and feeling the chilies in her hand. Like it's mm. really beautifully written. Um, I would love to see that adapted. Yes, <gasps> because you could set it in the 90s. It would be the most perfect yes. late 90s period piece. It would be like a cheery mm-hmm. this life. And I often think yeah. that if I had my druthers, um, 
I would really, I would love to go off for long weekends with some hair mascara and I don't drink anymore, yes. but maybe like a Mike's Hard Lemonade, like 90s <laughs> recreation events. I want to, I want to cosplay the 90s. <laughs> I think it's because, probably because we're of slightly similar ages. I feel like I, I didn't really get to do all the things in the 90s that people are like, oh, you know, you know, like I kind of grew up in a small town where all my friends were. I have quite strict kind of very conservative parents so they were all out kind of doing what what, we, what people did in the 90s like drinking hooch and like you know hanging around outside Wetherspoons and doing things with boys um and I was watching Top of the Pops and mainlining custard creams at home so it was slightly different for me so I am with you on cosplay in the 90s did you know that you can do like 90s weekends which is basically all people like kind of our age roughly maybe older just go away and listen to 90s music and that's just what you do for the whole time like I would love that and then be home by half 10 yeah oh yeah let's go that sounds great because that's the other thing I would like my own 90s school disco hours 7 till 10 then all the lights come on and your dad comes to pick you up yes Um, I'm sure I'm sure my father would travel (laughs) I had this really acute memory of heartbreak and misery and I didn't know then but I know now that the word is FOMO and I would have been about 12 or 13 mm. and it was a Friday night and it was Radio One's I beef the weekender <gasps> and it was all very like yes. that was sort of the big commercialization of like I beef her and yeah. I would if you're interested if you're nerdy enough and it's quite nerdy but it's so great and I love it my friend Cheryl Garrett wrote a brilliant book called Adventures in Wonderland and it's about acid house and the sort of house music in New York in the 70s and then the 80s and 90s and it kind of talks about oh, how yeah. Ibiza became Ibiza but oh mm. I just remember thinking everyone is in Ibiza and I've got yeah. to be 12 and at, at yeah. home and watching Rugrats <laughs> with my sisters and it's so unfair and I hate my life so much and nothing else will ever happen to me <laughs> to me what, yes. what do I think I would have done in Ibiza at 12 years old <laughs> It all just seems so unfair to have slightly missed it. I felt like that about Nebworth. It felt like the whole world and his wife were at Nebworth watching Oasis and Robbie Williams and whoever else was on the lineup. And I just remember, yeah, sometimes those live Radio 1 weekenders were just torture. Absolute torture. It was worse than like when I used to go into school on a Monday because I wasn't allowed to stay up late and watch TV. Everybody would be talking about Euro trash. And I would be like, well, I'm not allowed to. So I don't really know what you're talking about. Something about knob jokes and big boobs. Like, I don't like <laughs> just. And then, and then something happens. I'm sure this has happened to you as well, where you just go, I don't really fancy that. I'm all right, thanks. And I kind of. And now. I'm at an age where I see girls going out and I kind of wince and I go, oh, do you want to, do you want to think you maybe, maybe you should have put a jacket on or, or you're going to go over in those hills, you're going to do your ankle. And I don't know when it happens, but I'm very happy to be at this age where I don't have FOMO anymore. And instead I have JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. The joy of missing out. I love it. <laughs> to bring it back to the theme. Oh, sorry. Um... Yes. <laughs> It's my, I was the one who took us down this road and on this tangent. Um, 
That is why, as a big nerd, I was a big nerd when I was 12, and I am now, I recommend <laughs> books, because I love, I really love books with really great party scenes, and parties and books mm. are always so much more fun than parties in real, real parties. life. And this is why I love Jilly Cooper so much, I know she's a problematic fave, but those, <laughs> the big bashes, she writes a good, messy, mad party, like no one else. And So I've not read any Jilly Cooper, but I've listened to her, I'm pretty sure, on Desert Island Discs. And she just seems exactly as I thought she would be. Bonkers. Truly, gloriously, joyfully (laughs) bonkers. There's a cracking orgy in um, The Man Who Made Husbands Jealous. And I remember there's a big scene where everyone sort of goes down for dinner and everyone's got, I think, there's a pill, like... And I think, I'm not sure how far Julie's drug uh, research went, but it's um, everyone gets um, a tap of E and everyone gets like a condom, a single condom for the whole orgy, which I'm sure there must be more somewhere. But um, when I wrote Insatiable, that was pretty much my research. I was uh, not going to orgies. Mm. I was just reading about them. what you were doing? Because I remember reading about or listening because I listened to Careering. And the oh, the you. naked speed. It's all right. I loved it. The naked speed dating, which had me howling, and the way my stomach dropped when they were like, "Oh yeah, it was cancelled at the last minute." And I, I, I remember I was listening to it, and I just stopped what I was doing, and I was like, "Oh no, she's been caught out." And I just, I felt like I'd been caught out in something because I was like, "What are the chances? What are the chances of that happening?" But also the way you wrote about threesomes. I thought was really spot on and really interesting and really nuanced. Can I have that for a cover quote? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, where were we? But <laughs> we I do think it's inter- we're in a really interesting period now of kind of sex in books and how it's mm. written about. And there are some contemporary books I'm reading where I feel like, oh, you've talked about everything but this and it feels quite yeah. audacious in lots of ways um a book i really read and loved quite recently i think came out last year a sedating elaine by um it, dawn winter um is the author mm. and it's about a a woman who just wants to live her life and pay off her drug dealer and make mm. some soup and her new girlfriend is just relentlessly amorously enthusiastic and it's it's a really like brilliant kind of dark comedy but it's got a real sort of emotional core to it but I love the idea Mm. that it sort of it took desire and horniness Mm. but made it in a a very there was nothing sort of weird or unusual about it Mm. it was just about the sort of um, quest for peace and then I've just finished um, Cleopatra and Frankenstein and that I really I loved it and I was a bit like when I sort of heard about the scent like the premise of it I was like oh am I going to like this and it really took me by surprise and there's some this mm. really beautiful very real kind of believable sexy bits and it's it's got it gets the light and dark of it really really well wow so I just read Death of a Bookseller which love 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 if you can get your hands on a copy get it it's probably one of the most realistic portrayals of sex or somebody losing their virginity in, like now, in modern day, that I think I've ever read. Like, it's cringy, it makes you question consent, and like, you know, and you're kind of like, and you're like, oh, was that consent? I don't know. What does that mean? Is that okay? Uh, And that kind of feeling that I know a lot of my peers had. 
about just go, oh, I just want to get it over and done with. It doesn't matter who it is. I don't know how she does it. She captures it so, so well. It's really kind of stuck with me because it's kind of quite dark. And um, I know, because uh, this was my publishers and I know they're calling it all oh, this horrible little book. And it is a horrible little book. It's a brilliant way to describe it. <laughs> it's very creepy. But what really stuck in my head was that sex scene was that kind of grimy, you know, they're, they're young, they're in their like uh, early 20s maybe. And you you could just feel the sheets, you know, you know, he's got one flat pillow oh. and you know, <laughs> you know that the sheets are kind of shiny with grease and, you know, Ooh. secretions. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> it's also about a lot more than that, but about a really realistic, grimy portrayal of sex is the one. Oh, that's such a great description. I can, it feels really visceral. I can really, really feel it. Uh, so I could talk to you for I hours know. and hours. Are there any books that are on your pile that you're excited about mm. or things that you're desperate to get hold of? Tell me about your reading future. Yes. As someone who is awaiting a diagnosis for ADHD, there are always far too many books piled up. And this is The Sanctuary by Emma Horton. Yeah, I like it just because it's got a nice retreat on the front. But it says very few people get the opportunity to stay here, even fewer get to leave. I went basically went Ooh. into yeah, I went into Hodder recently, and uh, they said, "Do you want some? Do you want some proofs?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Please, may I have?" <laughs> I said, "Nothing kind of rom commy, nothing like Sunny, uh, because I'm writing my second book at the moment." I said, uh, "Crime, but not horror," and yeah, something slightly creepy, but definitely not horror. Um, and they were like, "Great." I've got six books. So, yeah, this is this is the one, The Sanctuary. I'm so excited that you're writing your next book. Is yeah. there anything that you'd like to tell us about? Or are you, do you fear the jinx? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, I changed my idea about three times. It's only when I spoke to the author, Lucy Vine, and she said, oh, that's interesting. You're, how does your publisher feel about you, uh, or your agent feel about you doing something that's a completely different genre to Sunny? And I went, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I feel like I want to work my way up to that, not because I particularly care about what other people think, but because I don't think I'm ready to write something quite dark, uh, as dark as what I was initially thinking. Lucy Vine is a friend of the podcast and of mine. Is Very she? A big oh, fan of her oh. book, Seven Xs, which is coming out later this year. <gasps> Also on my, also on my, um, my TBR. Um, very kindly send me a copy. So yeah, so the next book, I'm sticking with the same community. So it's still a working class, uh, British Punjabi community. This time set in Birmingham, which is where I find myself living. Um, and it's going to jump between 1994 and the current day, and it's about a woman who's done. All the right things she's you know she's married she's got the two kids she's got the you know the double garage she's got you know everything uh and she is bored as hell you know she's essentially in a loveless marriage it's very convenient wasn't particularly the man she would have chosen but she married him on the rebound and then her teenage sweetheart contacts her on facebook and her life implodes Ooh. <laughs> Hello, so hello, hello. Book. That sounds fantastic. But, you know, big, big, big fan as well of anything that's even partially set in the 90s. Hook it yes. to my veins. So yeah. congratulations. That sounds great. Thank I'm you. pleased. Like, as soon as you have um, a proof, even if it's not a proof, even if you have 50,000 words on Microsoft Word that you want a fan to read. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would love that. Thank you. 
thank you so much. I'm currently struggling at 4,600 words, but when I get there, <laughs> I will so wait much. patiently. It'll be worth waiting for. Um, I have had the most fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has thank been you. a delight. This has been such a dream of mine and I have been biting my tongue so hard every time we've DM'd or when I met you to just go, please can I come on your podcast? Um, so, <laughs> so thank you. Huge thanks to Sook. Sunny is out now in paperback and published by Hodder. I recommend it hard. It is a genuine delight. Your Book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all of the books that Sook mentioned at acast.com slash booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at whybooked. Huge, huge thank you to everyone who's given us a five-star review. We appreciate it so much. And if you haven't done it yet and you've been listening for a little while, we'd really appreciate it. It's the best way to help people to find the podcast and their new favourite book. We'll be back next week. For now, I leave you with this from C.S. Lewis. You can make anything by writing. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.